Welcome to the Cult of Comics. Welcome to the Cult of Comics podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and today I am obviously joined by my usuals, Josh Craven, Sean Walsh. Sean Walsh is a special guest today. He is the only uh, known ginger to have found a soul and lose his gingivitis. I did. I can't go into details because the monks asked me to keep it secret. You lost the ginger hair too, huh? I mean that's why he's not a good uh, Irishman. He he doesn't even drink whiskey. You know, he, that was a it was a catch twenty two. No, he's uh, yeah. he's black Irish. He's obviously white. You racist piece of shit. Jesus Christ. Anyways, yes. Please excuse my ignorance. <laughs> Josh doesn't see color. He's colorblind in that regard. In which case, you shouldn't drive or he's black fly and plane. white colorblind. Just like a dog. Black and white colorblind. Basically Just a dog. <laughs> Just shades of gray. A little bit of purple hues. Everything is just treats and squirrel and play. Yeah, but if I was in the and UK, that's why you're my favorite everything furry. would be yellow. And it was all yellow. Coldplay reference, nice. Anyways, uh, welcome to the show. If you've never been on the show before, this is a comic book media podcast where we're going to talk about the comic books that we read this week. This is our comic book club episode, or COC for short. And today is Monday, September 20th, 2021. And we're going to talk about some of the things that we read this week, starting off with Primordial Number 1 by Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino. Starting off, fantastic first issue. This oh, yeah, the hook is, is there. This is everything I wanted from Department of Truth. Okay, it does interesting. very much have that echo of Department of Truth. Go yeah, on. it's got that kind of conspiracy theory vibe, but it's also got a compelling story. It's not just... A character telling another character about walking and a conspiracy talking. Theory. This guy's doing yeah. his investigation. He's putting yeah. the pieces together. There's an actual story here. It's not just yeah. It's not just one character telling another character. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I've been feeling a lot of that way with Department of Truth lately. I feel like there's a purpose to it, though. I feel like there's there's a strong reason why Tinyan has chosen Hawk and. The backstory between him and uh, great now that the name of the main character escapes me. Cole. Um, I wanted to say Cole for some reason. Thank you. Yeah. Um. I feel like this is a strong issue and a big reason why is because this team has always worked. I can't really think of a time where they haven't worked. Um, it's interesting that you say Department of Truth because I actually was thinking of Hickman while I was reading this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I see bits of it, yeah. Bits, maybe. Mostly because of the way that the space-time continuum, space wibbly-wobbly cube just gets the... folds out into smaller cubes. and Yeah. It, it also makes me think of um, A Space Odyssey, 2000. Yes, yes. I definitely was thinking about that. Okay, so I'm glad it wasn't just me then. Um, let's get into a quick breakdown of this. This is a story of a alternate timeline, uh, in the space race or rather the end of the space race, instead of JFK winning the presidency, uh, and beating Nixon, Nixon has beat JFK. 
Uh, Nixon is currently on the move to... Uh, I forget what he's doing with Hungary. Can you help me out here? Something about... Uh, invading. Not invading, but... I don't think he was invading. I think that he was creating tension with Hungary, which at the time is a big no-no because of the relationship with the USSR. And obviously the space race was influenced by the USSR and Sputnik, uh, which is mentioned in this. Um, um, yeah, there's military action in Hungary. Thank um, you. Kennedy stood with protesters opposing Nixon's military action there. Which is interesting. So... My immediate first thought uh, with that is tying into the fact that this main character is black in the 1960s, late 1960s. Yeah, that's a little detail I liked because when the when he first showed up, the guy didn't think he was anyone. Yeah, he didn't realize he was a doctor. Yeah, yeah he I, assumed I, he was a janitor. I kind of thought that, that was. I kind of thought that that was a cliche that was pretty. That's pretty commonly used in a lot of stories. I think, especially older stories, but I mean, it still occurs. So I mean, it makes sense, and it's it's. Something it it worked is, for the time period. Absolutely. And uh, for, as far as the suit wearing goes, I actually think that it was more commonplace to wear suits during this period because... Dress for the job you, you want, were... not the job you have. Yeah, exactly. I so... mean, he's also... The guy that was in the room, also, it doesn't seem like he's looking towards his direction either to see that he has no. the suit on. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, the reason I bring that up is because the reason why JFK essentially won uh, in the eyes and the opinions of many peoples of the uh, Black Caucus, the Democratic Black Caucus in America, is that JFK won because he got the black vote. And the fight for um, voter equality, uh, I'm sorry, not the black vote, I, I apologize. What I mean to say is that the um, black initiative uh, during the civil rights movement helped motivate people to vote for JFK. Obviously, following um, the 1964 events, there was the 1965 Voting Rights Act, so they didn't yeah. have the opportunity to vote. But if JFK getting involved with protesters is going to be a highlight in the backdrop here, that would make sense considering. So what I'm seeing is this is a timeline where JFK did not get enough motivation from uh, white supporters who saw what he was doing for black uh, civil rights advocates, which is something that I think we should pay attention to because that seems to be an important reason why that's highlighted with this main character at this point. Yeah. Um, it could also just be the, political theater right now because, you know, towards the end of the book, we find out that both the Soviets and the U.S. have shut down their spacefaring, their, their space programs. They've shut down their space programs because there's something larger out there. And typically Absolutely. that kind of unites everybody when there's some exterior antagonist. Sure. So it could just be, you know, keeping it up for the people because we can't tell people there's something out there. Sure. And I think that you're... I, I definitely have a habit of overanalyzing and maybe hoping for bigger picture stuff. And Jeff Lemire isn't a bad writer in any regard, but I definitely haven't seen anything of his before where it's been that dramatic of a back matter building uh as far as like the the backdrop of things so that's fair yeah um so there's the discovery that there is these animals that have been sent into space they didn't die they were lost and they can't explain why now at the end we kind of have uh, a glimpse into what happened but the highlight is that this is a conspiracy to cover up what happened with the space race both with the u.s and uh the soviets and the famous russian dog whose name escapes me at the like moment. Uh, like thank you thank you very much and the two monkeys a rhesus macaque and a 
Uh, no one cares about your cock right now. <laughs> Look, I said rhesus macaque. That's that's my favorite thing to do. You take peanut butter and some chocolate, especially if it's a fat guy. It's a rhesus monkey. Like once. <laughs> Not while I'm drinking the whiskey, my guy. Come on. I had that burns. To. That's in my nostril. <laughs> Damn you. Yeah, there's a rhesus monkey called Abel and a squirrel monkey named Baker. Squirrel monkey. Thank you very much. Um, and a big reason for this was because they were still hesitant to actually put humans out into space, so they wanted to test their uh, equipments, machines, etc. Um, but the highlight of this is that this main character has been introduced to a uh, deep throat type uh, individual who meets him in his car. Uh, and announces to him that he's close to uncovering the truth and thus leading yeah. into the main plot of the story. He's been fed this information by one of their agents. Yes. So, so he's given a puzzle to piece together to see if he's, you know, the guy to use. Yeah. Do we think, or was it already acknowledged, maybe I missed it, that he was fed the information about the heart rate of the uh, monkeys uh, and that's why he discovered it? Or was it that he just uncovered it because he was curious? No, he... He was intentionally given up. The the I guy think. in the car says that his guy got. Did you get our? Did didn't our man get the printouts to you? Mm. Okay, yeah, so, that makes sense. So he like they pointed this stuff out to him and said, "Hey, here, look at you know, is this anything? Like here's okay. some stuff." And then he looks at it and figures it out, and they're like, "Okay, this is our guy because he figured it out." Absolutely. Sean, I want to go back to what you had said about the uh, comparison to Department of Truth as far as the conspiracy building and everything. Yes. Um, can I ask you to elaborate a little bit on that and what you're seeing as, as a comparison between the two outside of the conversational tactics in uh, Department of Truth? Well, obviously, this is alternate history and not conspiracy theories, but it's still play. It's This book is about a conspiracy theory or something. Mm -hmm. Stuff was hidden from the public. And I just think... It is obviously very similar in topic to Department of Truth, but I just think the sure. storytelling is a lot stronger here. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there, because it, it is much more art. traditional. It's, it's cleaner art, more traditional art, but I think there's certain parts of the art style that are similar. Yeah, uh, it's very stylized and dark. Yeah, and our Dr. Prembroke, our main character here, he's you know an intellectual, kind of like Cole is. He, you know, he's part of the fbi but he's more of a you know nerd mm. so well you know dr pembroke's from mit he's still like a government person is it that you're required to work for the government when you come out of mit i can't remember no, no okay it's just massachusetts institute of technology it's just a lot of people get hired out of there it's a nice farm so the reason i ask is because some schools have a contract where if you graduate uh, from them, you are required to work in certain fields or facilities, and I was just curious if that was something that was required with certain government uh, engines. Um, this art style is a combination of a couple of different things that has really entranced me, uh, one of which is obviously the traditional Andrea Sorrentino art style. However, I have noticed that his... Uh, structuring of, of faces has dramatically improved to the point where it's individual characters no longer look similar to each other. They have their own face. They are uh, still t highlighted with a strong silhouette. Um, the panels are still structured in a way that he very clearly wants to um, be very 
creative with and have a lot of fun with, uh, as seen with the double page spreads that we're going to see in most yeah. of his work. Um, however, the thing that I like the most about this is that he does a combination of things uh, that I actually saw in Joker as well. The silhouetted uh, ink style was something that was more commonplace in Green Arrow, Green Arrow excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the combination of uh, silhouette as well as hyper attention to skin detail uh, was also in Joker. I'm seeing that here now as well. And it's really exciting to see that because when he does the parallels, I actually feel that there's a tonal difference. And that seems uh, with has an, like it has an intent, like a purpose. Um, I personally am at this point right now with the, the writing of the story. I'm engaged. I definitely felt like this was light in a lot of ways. Hmm. Yeah, it didn't. It kept the story moving. It didn't really didn't get too heavy in any points. And that's yeah. part of my problem with Department of Truth. It's very exposition heavy. Very, It does drag on a lot, some issues. Yeah, very sure. dialogue heavy. Whereas this, it lets some of the art do the talking mm. and focused on just sort of building the character. Yeah. Uh, I think... Sorry. No, no, I actually go right ahead. I was, mine's yeah. a, a snippet. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to talk about... I mean, you commented on the art style... I was wondering if he is one of the artists that uh, takes pictures of models and then kind of rotoscopes those pictures in into his art. Like uh, I can't say that I'm familiar with his process, but I do know that artists like uh, the artist from Pearl and uh, the oh, artist Michael Gatos, Ex Machina. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with Andrea Sorrentino's art process, but I do know that there are artists that fit this art style that have a tendency to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pointed out to me that Alex Maleev does that with cities and landscapes a lot. Um, so I wish I could tell you uh, at the moment because I'm a big fan, but I don't know the exact process. Okay, um, that's fine. I would be surprised if that wasn't the case. Do you know um, Jason Sean Alexander? He's the artist for the vampire uh, Thomas Jefferson book out right now, Philadelphia. Philadelphia? Philadelphia, thank you. Sorry. Yeah, um, he also worked on Spawn. He shows his creative art process on Instagram pretty regularly, and he very openly uses uh, real-life models. Uh, He actually hires actors sometimes to just pose for pictures Mm -hmm. uh, for some of his stuff. I can't say that I see any familiar faces in this book at the moment, but that doesn't mean that he's not using real life models. You know, no, I mean, I'm not saying like he's just finding stuff on the internet. They're like, for like Ex Machina, they would actually they had a team of people that they would model just to see how the lighting would work. Mm. Okay. Or at least they did um, that for the first couple of issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like. There's a lot of my own personal bias when it comes to this book initially, one of which is it's Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino. Mm -hmm. So I'm already engaged and interested to see how this is going to go. I also know that this is going to be a short run uh, series. How many issues is this supposed to be? It's going to be a six. And they've also said that uh, their next book is being announced in October. Okay. Um, I feel like knowing that it's going to incentivize me to buy the rest of the book uh, as well. Um... I definitely was not satisfied with how Ascender and Descender ended, mm. uh, personally. I, I definitely have it's seen... It's getting another six-issue series, Tyler. There's Regardless, more. I 
I regardless, I feel like it uh, it 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 seems to ha have ended in a way that didn't feel like a solidified ending. And apparently now there's the sequel series, and I don't know how to feel about that. Um, and that's more of a criticism about how he chooses to end some things. It that felt like an experiment. This feels like it has more purpose. Um, so that's my own bias towards this. So I have an incentive to say that I want to continue reading this and collect this. That being said, my criticism towards the minimal storytelling uh, in this uh, extends to... How many pages is this? 30? Um, yeah, I think it's like 32 pages maybe. I think that for 32 pages, there definitely could have been more to this. I feel like this is a choice to allow the art to be more free. And that's not a complaint necessarily, but I think that if I'm going to read a book 26. and a story... I'm sorry? 26. Thank you. Uh, I want some more plot. And as engaged as I am, that is going to uh, add to how I'm going to review this book. So you think it's got less plot than Department of Truth? In the first issue? Yes. Interesting. The first issue was like a complete thing. This is the start of something. I think the start and end point for this issue works it start it works for me. Um I can see uh, you know why Tyler would feel that way that maybe some of the pages that they're showing the dialogue for the monkeys or the uh pacing out of that missing two minutes or 12 minutes or however long, maybe they mm -hmm. could have done something else with those pages. So made it well, just a bit denser for that time period. That's also that a question of time uh, for the issue. Yeah. I, it's also a question of there's these little attentions to detail that it, it's a question of how much of that is the writer versus the artist uh, trying to tell the story. And my thought with the guy in the back seat of the car handing out the information for Germany was the highlight on the uh, creases or scars on his uh, face near his mouth. That's that that highlight in specific mm -hmm. to me can come across as that's our uh, doctor Pembroke looking at these specific details and then choosing to highlight that because he was caught off guard. Okay. That could be something that we're going to look at in the future. That could mean a lot of things. That's a that's a device that is being used, and I can't tell if that's an artist's choice or a writer's choice. Yeah. And I highlight that in specific because if this is going to be a six-issue series and that isn't brought up again, then it's a question of why choose to do so. Is that just going to be like the smoking man in the X-Files? That's all we know him as, you know? Yeah. Which ultimately is not a criticism. It's more of a question of motivation. And I think that following with the line of the Department of Truth comparison, there's a lot more motivation for the choices of attention to detail of character design and how these characters interact with each other. Specifically how Hawk wears the upside down uh, American yeah. flag hat, the scar on his face, um, the relationship with Cole, the highlight of the satanic panic thing. Um, but it's kind of that same criticism that I have with Heroes in Crisis of I can respect that this is an artistic choice. I can't really say that that makes it bad. Um, and I'm kind of conf in conflict with myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if anything that I just made any sense. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I think they are paying attention to those details. Uh, so, if you um, look, I don't know if it's in. So, on the left page, when we're seeing the scar, or he's actually looking behind him. But then you can see on the right page, he's looking through the mirror because the scar changes to the other side of his face. Yeah, I noticed that too. So I think he is paying attention to like where that scar is and making sure that it's placed correctly. I felt the same way. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that any of these characters are boring, that this plot is bad, that there's anything uninteresting about this. It's completely the opposite. Yeah. It's engaging. I'm intrigued about what's going to happen moving forward. I'm intrigued about this weird uh, space-timey yeah. uh, black hole of whatever it is. Maybe it's the edge of space. I don't know. Uh, I, but I think this is written more like they're storyboarding out a TV show or movie. Like maybe if this was going to be a movie, this first issue could have been the first twenty or so minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. The way things work out here. Yeah, no, if I completely agree. If this was going to be a TV episode, it would be the first half of the episode. I could definitely see this being an FX show on Hulu, really easily. Yeah. Um. I would really like to hear from you guys uh, because I'm hearing some support about like, oh yeah, I can kind of see like why you feel that way. But I would like to hear Sean, especially from you, you know, um, because I think that we're in a different opinion right now about department of truth. You're saying the pacing here is something that you're a little bit more impressed by. I think it's much more traditional in a Mm -hmm. comic book storytelling type way. Whereas department of truth is doing something very different with its storytelling approach. And I think I just prefer the traditional approach more. Yeah. I don't think that's wrong. Well, I mean, we're just going to focus um, on this one thing for the entire series versus moving yeah. from conspiracy yeah. to conspiracy. Or that's a really good all point. conspiracies are going to be combined, whatever they are, in this one. But sure. we're going to focus on this big sure. one. Yeah, that's actually a valid point. You know, I just bought a Robert Frost poem book. And, I mean, I'm the kind of guy that will... Even if it doesn't make any sense to me, I'll just like linger on a single line because it doesn't mm-hmm. like it's confusing, and I have a tendency to do that with any of the things that I read, and maybe that's a reason why I'm a little bit more engaged in my mind with Department of Truth at this point. Um, I just think Department of Truth spending too much time telling the conspiracy theory as opposed to developing these characters and pushing a actual narrative forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I like I going think off on those little tangents in Department yeah, of Truth. Yeah, I do too. I feel like I'm also hearing from you, Sean, that another reason why it's like frustrating is because Department of Truth is an ongoing. This is a limited series, yeah. so you're getting a little bit more of like the plot moving forward. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't disagree with that. Because with Department of Truth, like, those, we had two actual fill-in issues in between first and second arc, which mm-hmm. were really good. But mm-hmm. then every issue since then has also felt like a fill-in issue just with the main artist. Because I felt like the first arc at least did push a story forward. Even if some issues did linger a bit. It's it's weird having a fill-in, like two fill-in issues for a series that is all fill-in issues, basically. If that makes sense. It does, because I kind of felt the same way about Powers, where there is an overarching 
plot, kind of. But, I mean, at least Bendis resolved that uh, initial plot within the first story arc and then kind of moved on to other things he was interested in building. And I think that Tynion is trying to make this last as a lot longer than that. So I think we need to maybe push forward just a little bit. Uh, we can talk about the uh, Pink Floyd yeah that was a great page and then that's such a good page and then we can circle around to uh 2001 a space odyssey i really want to point out that he did give reference to the original design Mm -hmm. i love that after blah 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 whatever that artist's name is i don't have the book thorgerson thorgerson thank you so sorrentino signs off so this is his own you know take on the prism uh i can't dark side of the moon yeah 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 but instead of your typical rainbow, we're getting like these pastel colors. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the significance of that is. Uh, maybe it's just a creative choice. Um, what was the name of the scientist who made the discovery about refractions in light? Michael J. Light. <laughs> he was the one who discovered that science is gay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, what? I want to remember that. Uh, the joke is because he discovered that light refracts off of certain crystals, and it made a uh, the Roy G. Biv spectrum. So, the rainbow, the rainbow. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a joke that's a little bit too uh, high of intellect for you, Sean. Of course. Isaac Newton. <laughs> I thought it was him. Yes, the day Wizard Isaac Supreme Newton discovered Wizard Supreme. Wait, isn't that a KKK thing? I think that's, that's like a Grand, Grand Wizard. Wizard. Yeah. yeah, but You're he right. was my bad. Isaac Newton was, you know, celibate for life, so he was he really he was a very he retained all guy. his semen. He was one of those men going their own way, and this is what they strive to be. You know, there was a study done actually about that uh, in response to the Proud Boys saying that they do the same thing where they hold off on jerking off. Yeah, because they're like, we're gonna hold that in. And a scientist actually said, yeah, that actually uh, lowers your testosterone levels. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm just gonna do Got what him. I want. <laughs> yeah Spanking he was a the... very strange man you know in like the colors of the spectrum how you've got like indigo and violet mm-hmm. they're not different colors he basically invented a color because he believed in like magic and that seven was a magical number so he needed another color in there to make it make sense kind of yeah no way yeah no way he was a very very weird I mean, individual you could split it however you want I'll split you however I want. It's all subjective. Sean. Sorry, Josh. I don't see you that way. I respect you too much as a person. I know. <laughs> um, so anyway, you, you mentioned uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I did, yes. And this, I don't know if it's like an artifact or a wormhole or something, because we've got the triangle, we've got the cube, we've got, I don't know what else they collide into. But it's this kind of like alien artifact that kind of forces evolution upon the people it comes in contact with. Is it evolution? Or are you basing that off of the dog? Yeah, the dog is able to speak to them and communicate, so I assumed it caused a forced evolution in the dog. It's, that's just it clearly seems the like go- that's like a mental thought bubble that allows them to communicate. It's clearly the dog from Guardians of the Galaxy. Cosmo. Yes. Like, that, that's what I. That's literally what I was just about to say. I thought it was a reference to Cosmo from from Guardians. Maybe it's what Which, it reminds me of. 
in itself, I mean, anyways, was created specifically because of Leica. Yeah. Hmm. You know, the, uh, the font doesn't change from the title page to the preview for next issue, but it's something about the coloring for next issue that makes it almost look like kind of the same font as uh, Radiant Black. Just the uh, primordial see, yeah. title. Yeah. It's Are you one of those guys that, that, like... Yeah. Are you one of those guys that, like, picks it, is, like, really picky about fonts? Nah. What do you think I'm of Comic Sans? I don't, like, if someone says Comic Sans, I'm like, whatever. I don't care. Yeah. I'm not gonna be one of those people that's like, oh my god, you can't use Comic Sans or bullshit like I that. I made an entire video about the history of Papyrus, dude. <laughs> I fucking, like, cry. I, the Are amount you... of people that hate that... Are you more of an Ariel or a Calibri kind of man? I'm yeah. a traditional Times New Roman, yeah. baby. You're old school. I do all of my passwords in wingdings. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows what that is anymore. That's dead. That's still a thing. Like my childhood. All right. I rate this a nine and a half out of ten. Ratings. All right. Same. Um... You can't pick the I'm same. I'm not going to say nine. You have to pick something else. <laughs> Um, okay, 8.49. Sorry, 9.49. I thought you were going to do 9.49. Yeah, 9.49, sorry. I knew you were going to um, do that. It is really good. I don't think it's exposition heavy. I think that it's got a very clear idea of how the arc is going to go. It seems like there's a structured growth for how Pembroke is going to interact with the plot and how we're going to live through Pembroke. I feel like it's a good strong start. As a number one, I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten. Solid. Now, eight point seven five. I don't think it's I don't think it's near perfect. Not nine is strong. Yeah. Okay. We all have high yeah. praise for this. Let me it, it's 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 very rare that I'm gonna say anything is like anywhere near a ten out of ten. So like even saying nine point five is near perfection. That's a high quality to me. Mm. To me, the last issue of Why the Last Man is a 9.75 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, it, you you want to avoid giving things a 10 out of 10. Yeah. I get it. I just haven't... There's been very few things in comics that have made me feel like that's a 10 out of 10. Openly, issue 3 of uh, Many Deaths, Layla Star, 9.75 out of 10. Speaking yeah. of 10 out of 10s, that leads us nicely on to Rorschach number 12. No. I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay, so good because I. <sighs> okay, Rorschach twelve. Uh, we still King, got Jorge uh, Fornes. We've, no, we've got two books to go before that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, I didn't see the scripts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got thoughts on that. Sorry. Continuing on, what's next? Uh, Fantastic Four Life Story number four. Um. Not as strong as I felt about number three. Still very good. Yeah, very good, but yeah, not as strong. It was all from Ben Grimm's point of view, which was... It gave him some heart. It was nice to have I, his role be a bit more fleshed out in this series. Absolutely fleshed out. Funny, because he's made of rocks. That's funny. Good job. Um, I was wondering when they were going to introduce uh, his relationship with... Uh, Aisha, sorry, Alicia. Really, thank you. Um, I'm really bad with names. 
can I tell you guys a secret? I didn't know your guys' names for the first two months I was talking to you. That's all right. Yeah. I think That's I didn't know you before. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I... I don't know. I don't I don't hate this. I definitely felt like this was building on what's already happening. I felt like when I was done with issue 3, I was I made that comment about how I I made the connection that it is making a commentary on environmental science and climate change yeah. and how and it is I've affecting thought us. about that more since you first said that and I do agree. Right? That... Did it feel more like a connecting issue like bridging between this and the previous issue and the next one yeah i mean it did but it it there's not anything necessarily bad about it it's that it wasn't anything that made me feel oomph with it it's yeah like it last felt... issue we had johnny storm's death and it was a really yes. heavy hit issue like i read it and like it stuck with me after reading it Oh, absolutely. I Whereas thought about that for uh, this, a while. It was just kind of setting up the big Galactus. That's what I'm saying. Like, like yeah. It's just kind of bridging between this and the next. Yeah. It, it definitely a feels like a issue, setup for it issue was, five. It was very much a penultimate issue. Yeah. It just kind of put the pieces in place of the last one. But yeah, I'm I... very excited to see this end. The cover for the next issue looks great. When I think about the strengths of Mark Russell, I think about how he is able to take something as ridiculous as Snagglepuss or Count Chocula or... Flintstones. Yeah, and then he makes subject matter out of it. Um, It's just that... It feels like when you highlight something as strong as environmental change and then you have that overarching theme that makes a lot of sense in three issues and it's highlighted in the third issue, it feels like this is in some ways saying like even when we feel as humans to – when we feel like we are making grand steps to make big changes, it's not really enough because all it is is just feel-good bullshit. And in that regard, I really liked this. I definitely felt like the Silver Surfer introduction, I think, is the thing that I have the most issue with. Because as cool as that was, I think it's just cool, and that's it. Yeah, like he's flying in, busting up the satellites. Yeah, I mean, again, not necessarily a bad thing but i think that if you're going to do something as strong as what the last issue was i think you need to continue yeah. with something even stronger because there's only hit me. there's only one panel there that really did hit me yes. and it's reed just looking with a look of despair on his face and he's like yes we lost it only took us a minute and we lost it all yes and, and that's only a tiny little panel on a two-page Absol- spread i was just going to say the same thing and then i was also going to highlight that if if that is the overarching thing about climate change and we oh. are looking at read as an allegory or a collection of every scientist who's been trying to warn us about this uh, uh, warn us about this over uh, all of these years Greta. and that is the yeah the feeling of every individual who has tried their hardest to help us understand how important this all is 
and the loss of relationships that comes along with it, as well as the collective foregoing of your own humanity, your relationships with your wife, your your children, in order to try to do the right thing. That also is telling the story of like the 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 sacrifice of the hero. And I think that that was well done. I just feel like it's just missing just a bit more. Yeah, I agree. I did like the fleshed out um, backstory for Ben, though. Yes, absolutely. So to clarify, with the original backstory of Ben Grimm in the Fantastic Four comics, he is best friends with Reed Richards in the original story. And that is a big part of why he joins him on the original space mission. Um, they went to school together. They bullied. I use bullied loosely. Uh, Doctor Doom when they went to school together. And in the Matt Fraction run that's highlighted, Ben Grimm's biggest mistake and regret is that he feels like he made Doctor Doom, which has changed here. And he is very separate from Reed Richards. And they eventually develop a relationship afterwards. But when you look at how Reed is in this comic, he is at a loss of his relationship with his wife, his children, and a person that is in continuity is supposed to be his best friend. Not the case here. Uh, but that person still hates him and blames him for what happened to his body and why he is the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, I take that as the old Frankenstein story of look what science can do. Look what science has done, you know? Yeah. It's the idea of if you have the capability to do so much, that doesn't mean that you should. In this case, when you're using the superhero allegory, story, analogy, what have you, the translation is a little bit different. And I feel like if you are going along the lines of the climate change, uh, storyline and allegory i think that it tells a different story so now i'm sitting here thinking okay well we have 10 years until galactus gets here and i don't know what this issue is trying to tell me i guess is it that we should pity the loss of time or our relationships or the inevitability of human destruction i don't you feel the urgency yeah absolutely um Again, I might be maybe digging into this a little bit too much, but that's where I'm kind of at right now. And with oh. the Human Torch being dead, is it a six I, issue? I feel like I thought it was five. Is it a five? It's six. Oh, I, I thought, thought the next issue was the last issue. So did I. Well, it comes from the 2010s. I well, thought, Superman I Life thought, Story a six issue? I thought the world ended in the 2000s, though. I thought we were all dead. <laughs> Not till 2012. Not till 2012. Um, It'll be like a five. Yes, yeah, page, was a six. Five pages for the uh, sixth issue. I'm interested to see what the next life story series is going to be about. Excellent. Um, I want Tony Stark. I think dealing with his alcoholism, his kidnapping. Yeah, I, I would be interested in that. I would actually prefer to see Captain America first, actually, because of the Vietnam thing. It goes straight from the 40s to the 2000s. Just three <laughs> issues, four issues of him just being frozen. Yeah. <laughs> I sit in the cold. I think of the war. <laughs> no. 
just one long um, soliloquy. I think that if we're going along the Avengers original plot line, you know, being uh, revealed in the 60s, I think that him going into the Vietnam War and then the ship Zadarsky um, rebelling against the American military would be interesting. That's why I want to see that. X-Men. Mm-hmm. Josh just said that. Oh, I don't listen to him. <laughs> I don't know, Josh. I actually really wish that you had read this because I would have loved to hear your thoughts on this because I think that as an individual who is both a father and... I forget what you do for work. What is it that you do? You you work for the government or a gang? I forget. Yes. <laughs> I would have liked to hear your input on this, I think. Yeah, it just... After the second issue, it just wasn't really grabbing me. The third issue was where it was at, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's less of a criticism about Mark Russell and less of a criticism about what's going on in the storyline and more about how this issue is really leading into the next one. So my reservation is I know that the next issue is going to highlight some things that I want. And that's where I'm at. And I think that I'll end it at that. Yeah. I would give it a 7.5 out of 10. Comparing it to the last issue, I think that's fair. I still think that the overall storyline is really strong. Yeah, like last issue would have got a 9 if we were doing ratings at that point. Yeah, but you gotta like judge the issue on its own yeah yeah as an issue okay okay fair enough fair enough yeah it was good not great so this is the fourth issue and they've basically focused on each member one at a time not really on the invisible woman yet was she not issue two yeah issue two no not really because she didn't do the narration ah you see what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't read issue three or four, so I didn't realize that somebody else changed to... Yeah, issue three was all from Johnny Storm's point of view, and issue four was all from Ben Grimm's. Well, then it's, it's par for the chorus to have, you know, Reed Richards, you know, speak for Sue. <laughs> <laughs> issue six is just Doom doing the narration. He's just like, I hate them. Yeah, maybe next issue. I mean, he's he's out now, so, I mean, it would make sense. I guess I want to rate it maybe around an 8, because I don't think it's a C-grade issue. I think it's a B-average or B-plus issue. I just don't think it hit as home as the last issue. Yeah. And I'm trying to do what Josh said, you know, and just judge up on its own. Yeah, I'm going to stick with an 8. I think that, that that's fair. I also think it's really interesting that we're highlighting um, their son Issue as an adult Issue 2 now. was narrated by Sue. Was it really? I thought yeah. that it was just... It only highlighted that she was like a part of the civil rights movement and everything. It's all narrated by her. Okay. Yeah. Can I ask you, what did you think about the whole moment there with the uh civil rights thing i thought that was interesting well sue being part of it yeah i mean it was only highlighted a little bit but yeah it was only in like one panel um i don't really know i think 
does it make sense? I have, I've never really read much Fantastic Four, so I don't really know if it makes sense to that character. Well, I mean, in a lot of the comics, it's actually impressive because the mo- majority of the run has been written by some of the best writers you'll ever see. I mean, you've got... Hickman, the, some Wade, of the best Fraction. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Although the Fraction run ended on a shitty note because he hopped off, unfortunately. But I actually met him when he was, like, getting started on that run. He signed an issue number one for me. Uh, I didn't even know who he was at the time, but... Um, a lot of the series very much highlights the growth of the lifestyle in America as well as just like the family in the world and the idealized family and I think that's cool and I think it builds on what Stan Lee had built but I think that there's been a lot of other creators who have made some interesting choices that speak to the humanity of individuals also there isn't very many jewish characters like ben Grimm. he's very openly jewish he's talked about his i didn't know he was uh, jewish yeah he he was raised on yancey street he's new york jewish he is very proud of it he uh grew up on the tougher side of the not not the hasidic jew new york uh area but the the highlight of like some of the rougher parts of new york um one of my favorite issues of the Matt Fraction run actually highlights how he uh, was raised on Yancey Street and how he has responded to Yancey Street. Um, anyways, one thing I wanted to just touch on really quick was I don't know how to feel about this issue's uh, panel with Reed looking old as sin. Yeah, that was And weird. then just kind of... I took I'm that really to happy be the stress that. from Galactus has aged him. I, I don't know if that's he's supposed to, you know, stretch back into, you know, fine form. Well, that's exactly where I'm confused at. Is is that how he literally is? Is he actually that old and gray now? Is it because he was asleep, all his muscles were rea- relaxed, and he just sort of that's melted? Where I'm at. A bit? Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Is it a metaphor? I don't know. And I just, mm. it would be nice if there was one more panel that explained why that was. It's all the stress of all these environmentalists knowing they're right and having people disagree with them and call them fake news. Yeah. And them having to still put on a smile and go out in front of the cameras and... So this is the 90s and they're supposed to be... I mean, he's supposed to be, what, about 60 at that point? If it started in the 60s and he's maybe 30 at that point? 30 years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just... Sue doesn't look that way, though. Mm. Yeah, but she is banging. (laughs) She's always been banging, baby. The perfect woman. Have you guys read the uh, Ultimatum plotline from the Ultimate yes. Comics and everything? Is that, that was the, interesting. Is that the absolutely terrible Jeff Loeb one? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. That is the Jeff Loeb Ultimatum. I'm talking. What I mean is, I'm sorry. Ultimate Enemy, uh, the Bendis storyline, where he completely is like, "Fuck all the things you know about Fantastic Four. Nice. Reed Richards is a villain." Uh, Sue Richards is the most powerful superhero in the Marvel Universe. Ben Grimm, like, is in this orange form because that's his cocoon. And it, it, like, melds off of him and he ends up being, like, super powerful. And he has, like, this purple aura. And she develops a relationship with Ben Grimm. And Bendis is just like, fuck it, let's just have fun with it. It's very fucking weird, dude. It's very fucking weird. But it's also Is that where the main comes from? Yes. It's a it's a six issue mini, six issue mini, six issue mini, three different minis that all lead into why he becomes the maker, and it's very fucking weird. 
Oh, man. Um, we should call it here because we've yeah, done everything. Yeah. But I just wanted to just touch that on that because I've been thinking about that with this miniseries lately, I guess. Don't put that up while you've got the Adolf in the background, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a paintbrush. I'm fiddling with that. Sure. Anyways, I'm Shine sorry. 20 minutes of discussion whistles. later. It's like an hour into this, and we're only two into the, yeah, two I know. Into the box. Oh, let's God, let's move on to King 2. I'm sorry. King. King 2. King Colin number Kellen, 2. Jackson Lansing. The cover's interesting. Kind of cool. Yeah. Something about numbers and time and... Yeah. So this is all about Kid Kang going back in time to the Ramatut Kang era. Yeah. So this feels like it's telling me about the story, uh, the maybe the origin story of that Kid Kang, you know, when he joined the Young Avengers and everything. Yeah. Is this Not his a... origin story? I have no idea at this point because in the Young Avengers they mostly highlight or is this going about... to get to a point where he is just Kang but worse. So, in the Young Avengers when he moves away from the Iron Man kind of costume that he is mi mimicking basically, he has this period where he is challenging the uh, modern kind of moral code of the Young Avengers and then tra travels back and ultimately it insinuates that he falls back into old King habits. Um, I can't say that this is the origin story though because I haven't read that much Young Avengers. Yeah, I'm not like... All of this kind of lacks context for me so I'm like, oh, he's just kind of copying yeah. Iron Man. So I didn't know anything about the Young Avengers or anything like that. Really, really quick thing, because I know you had questions about this. With the, the, the Iron Man costume and everything, when he joins the Young Avengers, that's the costume that he wears. So this is the king that we see in Young Avengers. And the vision that's either had his body used uh, by a villain or is uh, something that he phases out because he's king or whatever reason, it... it it ties into why he fell into this habit and specifically his relationship with this uh, Moon Knight. Uh, what's her name? Um, Ravona. Ravona. Yeah, thank you. That's highlighted in the Young Avengers in his relationship with the rest of the team and him basically saying, I don't subscribe to your moral code and I'm going to do what I think is right and ultimately lead to him down this path of fascism, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a couple of YouTube videos or even TikTok videos or what have you that kind of really easily summarize this. Uh, and it's the Young Avengers was one of those series that I, I never really fully got into, but I can see why people love it. Um, I think that this is a fun story to have if you don't know anything about Kang, though, because this really does cover literally everything for Kang. Hmm. The Moon Knight highlight though is you is new that's that's not been done before the ravona yeah. highlight of moon knight and conversation about Basically that being like assassin's creed a little bit yeah so I, before we do anything else josh you said that you had some criticisms about this one compared to the first one i would like to hear that um it doesn't seem as focused 
Okay, go on. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, well, this one, it seems like I need to know a bit more of the background to really appreciate what's going on in this comic because we're running through similar iterations that we've already seen Nathaniel Richards go through before. So I didn't have any of the context about his sort of Iron Man suit or really anything about uh, Kang in this specific, well, any time period, really. But the first issue just seemed so focused and, you know, the cast is much smaller for the first issue. So you can really just focus on him and his older self. I don't know what's changed in this story. In the first issue, you can see the differences between old Kang and new Kang. This, Mm -hmm. you know, he kind of comes up against himself, but he gets subjugated by himself. And then they've seen each other for two pages. That's it. Well, I think that the choice to have a a sort of father-son role makes sense to a degree because the uh, writer's choice to have it almost insinuate that we are our fathers is an interesting one. In this case, it's quite literal. And I think that because of how Kang exists in the Marvel Universe, it's an interesting one. It, 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 what does he say? Variance, there's variance or uh, differentiations in the timeline or what have yeah. you. And that very much exists. In this regard, it strikes me as because he was essentially raised to be his father, he's trying to rebel against his own father who is his, himself. Mm. And it's the opposite of the hero's journey. You know, the hero's journey traditionally follows the. Uh, old wise man who engages the young hero to become his best self in this case it is an old wise man who teaches him who he doesn't want to be and wants to go against that but ultimately it still leads him down the road of villainy yeah i don't know and then like i just didn't find this very interesting this whole you know i guess being like a young vigilante that's fine but then like we have one page dedicated like he he went off to war to face against apocalypse and then he comes back and like the whole fight between that king tut kang versus the fantastic four happened while he was gone for a couple days or a week or something and he comes back to the ruins like he missed all of the action basically like he well, went, it's he went less did, that he missed the it's less that he missed the action, it's that he's been under the control of Ramatut. Mm-hmm. So, the highlight is the introduction of Ramatut and eventually Kang is in Fantastic Four as this Egyptian idol, this Egyptian Yeah, which we saw over. in this issue, we saw the Fantastic Four show up to fight him. Yes, yeah, yes, that's yes, what yes, I'm yes. saying. Like, and I'm taking this... this to be from a classic Kirby Lee story, am I right? Yes, correct. Yeah. I, I, I've heard about that before, but it feels like our young Kang... Nathaniel should have been here instead of like sent off to war. Like this is what the comic should have been. This issue should have been like caught in the middle between these two guys fighting. These like the Fantastic Four and the Rama Tut fighting. It's it strikes me as the reason why they kind of glossed over that is because of the highlight of what they've already done in some of the comics before and they wanted to focus on how young Kang is developing as a person and why it led him to the routes he did. 
yeah. feel like uh, Lansing and Kelly is choosing to focus on the spiraling here. And I actually found it really engaging. And I, I'm i going to actually, uh, in an opinion, disagree with your take on this strictly just because I think that it's... I think the first one was definitely stronger. I agree in that regard, but I definitely still feel like there was a focus here that chose to look at the history of this character. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. And I'm not saying that you're saying it's wrong, but I definitely see what your criticism is. I guess I'm just saying that I still like that. Yeah. Um, so the other criticism I had for this issue was that there's about 32 pages here, but like it, it's maybe 20 pages is for the comic and that's 12 pages of just advertisement after advertisement it's like every other page it's one page of advertisement one page of comic you know yeah get like two pages next to each other very often we get a spread which is nice but you know it's just add comic add comic it's just so annoying yeah, no, I mean, you, you mentioned this in the previous episode that the, the the reason why maybe this issue was a little bit frustrating for you is because of the amount of advertisements. Yeah. I don't really blame you. Yeah. I mean, how much was this issue? This was three ninety nine. I mean, that's not bad considering the size of the comic, but still, I mean, I mean the amount of pages that you had to sift through. Yeah, well, it's, it's a regular comic. It's 20 pages, basically. Um... After the first nine pages is where all of the advertisements get, you know, pulled in. Yeah, that's part of my problem with, like, print DC and Marvel comics is they're just so full of ads. Yeah, I mean, it begs the question of, like, why is it that I'm able to buy a three ninety nine comic from Image with zero advertisements? And then yeah. Marvel does this. Why is it you can buy it digitally for the same price and not have any advertisements? Bar yeah. like one or two for their own books. Yeah. Even some image comics, like if there's an ad for another comic, they put it in the back after the comic has ended. Like it's a couple it's the last yeah. few pages. But it's self promotion, so I mean it's different, you know. It's it's saying, Hey, if you like this, maybe you'll check out yeah, this or hey, the, this the is the worst ad in a Most book. of this is self promotion, except for yeah, most of it's self-promotion. The worst ad I've ever seen in a comic book was Action Comics 10, 6, uh, sorry, 960, 961-ish. They're like Superman was fighting Doomsday, and then you get to the centerfold, and it's the Snickers advert with oh, God. Superman giving Doomsday a Snicker. Yeah. You're not, you and, know when you're, you're not you when you're hungry, am I right? <laughs> yeah. But like... It was right in the middle of a fight scene between the two of them. Ah, the yeah. art style was extremely similar, and I was like, "I've had that happen." What's before. happening? Yeah, yeah. no, I've I've actually absolutely had the same thing. Like it was in every other comic like that month. Like yeah, but it was just it fit in so well in that issue. I just looked at it, and that it was like the first time I've ever really paid attention to the ad, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine in the middle of like this big fight sequence and you're just like, wait, why is there a Snickers? It was, um, it was very, very bizarre. 
The original for-profit advertising media system is something that has extended uh, and originated from newspapers. And it kind of makes sense with the origins of comics. But in a modern sense, I don't know if you really need it. And I feel like the entire reason for its existence is just to maintain super profits. And does Marvel need that at this point with the purchase of Disney? I don't know. I mean, how many... How many DC comics have I bought in the last month that I can honestly say had an advertisement in it? Like an advertisement advertisement. Every DC book that I've read so far has been DC advertisements. Yeah. Well, they keep pushing these watches. First it was the Venom watch. I know. I don't watch. fucking... I'm not going to fucking buy those goddamn things. <laughs> it's like when they were selling the fucking Scion advertisements. Like, yeah, get out of here. I I don't think it necessarily is intentionally sorry not intentionally. I don't think it's going to necessarily detract from the story, but I definitely agree with your criticism of how they've chosen to place the advertisements. Um this is a strong story and I think that when you place them in the wrong spot, it, it detracts from it. Hmm. Like how much you're going to be engaged from it. And I don't think that your opinion is necessarily invalid. Um I will say this, though. I think that you don't need to know the history of Kang in order to enjoy this book because they're really just covering that here. Yep. And I you can make I, your own I presumptions from it. I assume that if we're in this specific time period, he's re retracing the steps of previous Kangs, and this is something similar to what Kang did before. Ish. Yeah. I mean, it's Go not like I'm a, a Kang. and see what happens. Yeah. It's not like I'm a Kang super genius and a super fan or anything, but I mean, based on yeah. what I've read, yes. All right. I think we've said all we can about this. Cool. Uh, let's move on to Rorschach Rating. 12. But, oh, ratings. I'm so sorry. Um, I'd give it a 6.5, maybe a 7 at a push. Ooh. Yeah. Really? I was at a 7. Like, wow. I enjoyed issue 1 a lot more, but I'll, I'll still read like the next couple of issues at least. Yeah, I'm But so it's not one I'm... Yeah. I'm not in I mean, love with I... it yet. I maybe I'm just you're just like a I lot said, more familiar with Kang than we are and you can I say guess. you can say like oh like you don't really need to know a lot about the character but like yeah I don't want our my our first exposure your rating no 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 it doesn't it's 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 more that I'm just I'm, I'm surprised at how my low it is, before honestly. these two issues my only other experience with Kang was the Loki episode that is all my knowledge of the character. Yeah. I mean, for me, seven is like average. So it's not exactly like bad, but just not great. Yeah. Seven is an okay score. Yeah, in England, but in America, that's like below average. You're below average. Not according to your mom. Oh, we made it there. Oh. <laughs> And on that note, I'm going to give my rating, and then we can take a small break. Uh, I will say 7.75, because I'm an asshole. Okay, fine. Whatever. You know? Just oh. below average. I liked it enough that I think that this was a strong enough issue that if you are familiar with some history of King, it speaks to you. But I think that your criticism is fairly valid. I think that if you didn't know this, it would be a slightly confusing. So... And on that note, let's take a small break, and I'm going to go check on the uh, internet, and we will come back. 
Welcome back to the Cult of Comics podcast, and we are continuing our conversation about the comics we read this week, and we are going to talk about Rorschach number 12, uh, next by Tom King and Jorge Fornes. The finale. Um, the finale to this issue, and I am... Talk about a 10 out of 10 book, because this wasn't one. Yeah. <laughs> I am I... whelmed. Yeah, I can't say that I'm underwhelmed, but it I definitely was... am whelmed. It was an extremely basic end to it. It was kind of like, okay, like, let's wrap it up now. Well, I, I kind of feel like there's a couple ways you can interpret how this has ended, and one of the ways you can interpret it is the essential need uh, was done, and the main character fulfilled his uh, justifiable moral moral duty, but uh, ultimately the narrative of him ending it with killing Turley, Turley, right? Yes. Yeah. And the guy who hired him and then going to go see a Pontius pirate movie is <laughs> in some ways um, simply poetic because it's insinuative of falling into the narrative of uh, the world he has fallen into the 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 discovery of his new worldview and in maybe in some case that's a universal truth but in this case it is a I feel like a lot of stuff that should have paid off just didn't happen like it was like an anti-ending sort of thing that's that's where I'm kind of feeling right now, like, and I feel like have, there's... We have the recorder where you're supposed to listen to the noise and hear something, but the recorder is just set up to play. Like, we don't hear... There's no sound effects for, like, static or anything or hearing mm -hmm. a message or anything like that. There's no payoff there. All of the violence is basically off-screen for the entire fight. I don't mind that necessarily because I feel like the framing of killing these characters listening to their own bullshit is kind of cool and very... Um... Yeah, I liked that scene, like the way it was handled. And yeah. Played, like the camera was framed almost. I, don't I could know imagine feel... that in a movie. Yeah, I, I don't know how to feel about the bodyguard in specific. I think that's the thing that I didn't necessarily yeah. like because I felt like that was the tension that I expected to have some sort of resolution. Or maybe it's that Tom King was essentially saying that just because there is tension doesn't necessarily mean you ultimately get all of the resolution that you want. And when you're looking at the ending of him like watching the movie of Pontius Pirate, I don't expect him to get away with it. That's oh, the thing. Okay. At all. Because his, his prints are on the beer yeah. bottles that killed them. He was we hired by them. him to become Rorschach. <clears throat> yeah. In the last and scene, we get, like, shadowy silhouettes that make his face almost appear like Rorschach. Yeah. And I think that that's actually better than just giving him the mask, ultimately. I think so. It's It it had a different ending to what I expected. Yes. Yeah. But I can't necessarily say that when I read the ending of this, I was overwhelmed with a sense of... Satisfaction? Like, Yes, exactly, because it just felt to me like it was an ending rather than the ending, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of like, and I just don't know how to feel about that. Are you planning to do more, or is this it? 
this is it. I hope That's so. It. I, I expected this to be it, but... His work never really gets a sequel. Yeah. Everything is just its own little self-contained thing. I'm still salty we never got payoff to the Walter Kovacs fingerprints outside of a single throwaway line in the last issue. Well, I mean, you have even said before that a lot of Tom King storylines really resolve in issue 11. It's just more about yeah. how the ending is going to be in issue yeah, 12. Yeah, but we had that mystery teased in issue 1. Literally, the last panel of issue 1 was like, saying, like, didn't you hear Rorschach's yeah, dead? Yeah, they really set that up, that giant and then you thought would pay off. Yeah, like, and we, we didn't get a single thing. There to make it, you know, make the mystery yeah. weird. It's not even like we had him solving the mystery. It was dealt with off screen, and then we just got a throwaway line last issue just saying, oh, you got a copy of his prints from a collector or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we so just planted them there to make, you know, this one more wrinkle in the story that you had to figure out. You could look at it like that, but you could also look at it like many other noir stories, which has similar features. And I think that ultimately it's... It's it's much like an, an illusion in magic, you know. It's a misdirect. It's meant to make you think yeah. like, well, yeah, this is exactly. What this... Yeah, that's what I'm I, saying. I... That's what I'm trying to get at. I, I, guess I guess it, but I don't like it. Yeah, I guess that's where we're at. The difference is because like I don't mind it, but I feel like it could have been used a little bit more. I think that I like it as it is. If we had an I... issue of him looking into the fingerprints and finding out they weren't real. I wouldn't feel as bad about it, but the fact that it was the big mystery set up in issue one, like, that was the cliffhanger, only sure. to then have it mentioned in one line after that. Sure. Mm -hmm. I feel like the story here is less about Rorschach so much as it is about the narrative of vigilante justice and how we see in ourselves what heroes are, even if they're imperfect. And we can relate to a justification of our actions through others. And we understand that we have the capabilities to perform the necessary, so long as we have something or someone who can, in our minds at least, justify the cause and action. And... When you look at the whole, I don't think it's a bad series. But when you look at the single issue compared to the rest, I think it's a bit weak. Yes. I think I need to I, go back and reread it as a whole. Maybe, yeah. I don't know if I needed to have the detective get arrested or murdered or something. But I think that... <clears throat> Let me ask you this. How did you feel about the ending of No Country for Old Men? I haven't seen it. It's on the list. It's on the list. Story of your life. Yeah. Uh, the ending for No Country for Old Men is basically just that, well, the very end or the ending to, uh, uh, there's several endings in the movie. No, I mean the ending ending. The ending that, well, a lot of it deals with fate and, you know, you try and you know, leave your hands in fate and try and do whatever you can to affect your future. But even if you try and plan for everything, there's always going to be little hiccups that get in your way and mess things up. A bit. And I think that's not unlike what's going on here. But I think that there's a lot of the just recognition that 
ultimately he knew what he needed to do, but he just didn't have the plan realistically. I mean, he had the motivation. He had every reason to do the right right what, you, thing. You think he this wasn't the entire I mean, this was his plan the entire time going up to the penthouse. See, I disagree. He, I, think, I don't think Well, he oh, going up to the right pentagram? There. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The penthouse. So I'm saying that when he was in the hotel, we're in the, we're in agreement that when he was in the hotel and by himself, looking at everything, he knew what he wanted to do. Absolutely. Okay, but when he's up there talking with Turley and the other guy, I think he knew that this was exactly the plan. Like, I'm gonna play this speech to cover everything up. I'm gonna kill them right here. Their bodies will that, be found later. I think, I think that it's there's a finite. I think there's a finite resolution to how you're going to eventually get there, but this isn't something that's thought out months in advance, much like the attempted Turley assassination, in which Rorschach initially did actually make an effort here, despite Turley's intent and thinking that they were not going to be able to do so. And I think the parable there is interesting because it's almost like you are making the bed you so twice over and that's an interesting thing to think about because he hired the uh new rorschach and the kid to kill him in an attempt not knowing that they had the capabilities to actually do so yeah and then they had to react and then they did it again trying to still do with this fake conspiracy plot and then it ultimately led to their downfall and i feel like that's an ironic double justice and i think that's cool I think that the issue I have is more with how the ultimate resolution lies. Because at least within the uh, movie No Country for Old Men, and I've never read the book, I think that it, it ultimately tells the story of eventual, whether you would agree with it or not, the, the, the way that things fall. And things even if fall, you, your goals will be your end. Even if you have a plan for something... It doesn't mean that that's how things are, how the pieces are going to come together. And there's a lot of moving pieces with it. There's the, when you look at a fictional story, you look at how the plot and the characters are going to interact with each other, but that's not looking at how the world is going to interact with you. I can stop at a grum, at a, a, a truck stop and get murdered randomly just because and that's something that you have to consider because the world is air quotes random and that's what you have to accept because the the world is chaotic in that nature and i feel yeah. like that i feel like Anton this story Shiger is was chaos and the only thing that could stop him was more chaos exactly and even then he still continued yeah with the wife, it's very much with the like ending. the Dark Knight, you know, the unmovable object, force. <laughs> I think that this this could have had a stronger ending ultimately, and yeah. I guess I just don't know necessarily yeah. what this. Book I don't know is what the ending to could have been. Yeah, I don't either. So there are things that I do like about it, but there's things oh, yeah. that I wish could have paid off more. I think that I'm happy that it ultimately didn't lead up to him being Rorschach because I feel like that would have been overly predictable. I mean, he kind of is kind of taken on the mantle. Like I said, there's the last, the last panel where it has his face that has the splotches from the screen. Here's a here's an interesting interpretation. 
what if looking at how he has resolved things, how it's the perception of Rorschach versus the actual Rorschach down to the trench coat and the performative actions, the lessening of the identity into the characteristics that we think we comprehend of a character versus who they really are. If you're looking at the idealized version of how the individual's reception to vigilantism is versus the actual vigilante, is that a success or not? And how we come to the resolution in ourselves as the individual versus the reality is that a success or not? And that's, again, something that I compare to Heroes in Crisis because if this is something that maybe Tom King is saying about how we perceive vigilantes, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I guess I just didn't expect it to end this way. Or I hoped for a stronger ending, I guess. Yeah. Well, some of the, like another thing that I saw was like it's, it's a lot about the paths that people take. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Turley, he's got that giant smiley face behind him. And he mentioned earlier on in the series his encounters with the comedian. But I'm wondering if this is like, you know, another path the comedian could have gone if he wanted to, you know, be a politician or something. Like, he could have become Turley. Well, I kind of take it more as that same narrative of it's the individuals looking at other individuals vigilantes and doing their making their own interpretations based on who they are regardless of whether or not it's correct because Turley is looking at the comedian and idolizing him and yeah, he idolizes him but none of the other superheroes everybody else no. is a menace but we're also looking at Marston as well as this detective looking through the lens of their perceptions of what Rorschach is versus who he actually is because the he comedian was is not ultimately no the comedian ultimately is not right wing super like anti-government blah 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 whatever that narrative is and rorschach is definitely not any of the things that a lot of the people perceive him as he is a right wing conservative piece of shit who is a sexist racist misogynist like which one are we talking about rorschach like shitlord edgelord like when you look at the original character and how alan moore depicted him but through the lens of the individual, the perception is different. Much in the same way that my perception of myself is going to be different from the perception yeah. of myself through you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's an interesting parable because maybe this is ultimately a story about how we look at heroes rather than the heroes themselves. Because there are no heroes here. And I think that's good, but I still think it needs more resolution. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I come into conflict. Yeah, but yeah, we we should have seen more resolution. I mean, the uh, this guy, this bodyguard uh, that stands outside of Turley's uh, penthouse. I mean, he's the guy that killed the uh, the uh, girl that would have been like the the last thread. Yeah, you're completely right. And he's just getting. I mean, he's basically getting away with that. I guess it's a question of whether or not the bigger picture is more important than the individual. It's a question of, is the drug dealer more important than the person who is distributing the drugs and making the profit or giving those drugs there in the first place or the people who ultimately order the murders or the decimation of a civilization than the person who carries it out. I, 
Well, I mean, going back to uh, Rorschach, he had ties. His mask had ties to the killing of... I can't think of the lady's name. I don't either. But I feel like if he's kind of becoming Rorschach, he would have tried to adventure at least some turn or something to get this guy in trouble. Sure. I think... I think that there is also a question of how much do we perceive justice and our own perceptions of justice and how yeah. we carry that out. Because whether or not we agree with somebody in a political sense or an ideological sense, we ultimately agree that there is a degree of justice that needs to be served. And in this case, this detective has chosen that the poetic justice to Turley from a secondary source, once again, being hired to prove his innocence or a conspiracy is something to be said. And I don't know how to interpret that, I guess. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I still have other questions that I'm not sure we're going to get answers to. I think that that's intentional, though. I think that this book is intentionally up to the, the... I feel like interpretation we're supposed of the to reader. intuit some answers. Like yes, like he's got his car on like one of the last pages that he had the hit and run. And I'm trying to figure out who he maybe took out with his car. Yeah, I don't remember a sequence where he hit anybody, so I'm confused about that personally. Yeah, because I thought it would have been like his boss, but Alan was obviously in the room with him. So I'm trying to yeah. figure out who else there would have been to other loose ends to tie up my criticism of this is much in the same way that i feel about things like jackson pollock like art very much is open to interpretation but the over interpretation of things ultimately diffuses the meaning of art and i don't want that i want something to have a message much in the same way that i want the joker to have a message like Mm -hmm. if you're going to do that so much for a movie like that have something with it yeah. And I feel like this could have had just a bit more. Sean, you've been quiet. I just want to know what you think. I just really didn't enjoy this issue. I feel like it left mm-hmm. too much up to the readers to understand, and I didn't really yeah. put any effort into trying to work out the answers. I definitely think that the <clears throat> text from the pirate, the Pontius pirate uh, in the movie, especially the fact that he walked in half an hour into the movie, yeah, like is intentional because if he's walking into the movie that late into it you're missing a whole bunch of like development bigger picture issues but you're only getting so much of the speech and you get to only get that speech to your own interpretation so you ultimately you're justifying your own decision making your interpretation of the world and your actions through that moment alone, not the bigger picture, much in the same way that people do for Rorschach. So maybe Tom King is also saying something about Rorschach and the modern interpretation of like edge lords with uh, Rorschach as well. Yeah. Well, I took the uh, final lines there to be, you know, I'm content with where I am right now. But that's the problem. Yeah, Because if you're comfortable with something like that, and if you're comfortable with your own interpretations and not looking at yourself critically, maybe that's a problem. Maybe that's what he's saying. And again, that's not 
my ultimate opinion. That's just a question that I have. You know, if I die today, I die a pirate. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's... In a way, it's so good, but there's so little resolution that I feel conflicted because... Yeah, I feel so if we'd had more answers and more of an ending, then that would have been a good scene to end on. Like, Absolutely. the come and fight, if I die today, I die a pirate. That's, that final panel is good, but it's just yeah. the rest of the issue that lacks any sort of resolution. You guys I kind haven't of... had the uh, final issue of Strange Adventures yet, have you? Hmm. Nope, that's coming soon. I don't know how to feel about that, knowing this issue, you know, came out, but yeah, I don't know. It's an interpretation issue, and I get that, and I get that there's a question of like how we interpret interpret Rorschach, especially with the amount of people that have come to Alan Moore at cons and been like, "Oh yeah, I relate to Rorschach," and he's like, "Get the fuck away from me." <laughs> Maybe there's something there with that, but I just I feel like. There's 10% of this that could have been resolved more, and I wish it was there. And so ultimately, it makes me want to give this this issue in specific 7.5 out of 10. Yeah. Rather than like, the full thing. I'm at like an 8 out of 10 for this. Like, there was still plenty of good stuff there, but it left me wanting more. Yeah. You both gave it very high scores, considering most of our discussion was negative. Well, I, I pointed out the things I didn't like. I said there were plenty of things that I didn't yeah. like. So you have to look at it versus the issue versus the story. Because I'm going to give a separate review for what I think of the story overall. Because overall, I think it's an 8.75 out of 10 for the whole series. Um, I really like the scene where he kills them. I like how it was all done off camera. I really like the last panel. But... I didn't like how you said like the hit and run wasn't explained. He left the bodyguard alive for some reason, even though he was just as responsible. Mm -hmm. I've got to give it like a six. Yeah. There were just two Let me put it this way. Do you fault the actions of the individual soldier or operative for what the government chooses? versus the government's choices and actions. And I think that that's the ultimate question here is, do you fault the individual versus do you fault the creator or the one in charge? And ultimately, in my personal opinion, I think everyone's to blame, but I think it's a good question of, if you look at it through the lens of Tom King, who was a fucking CIA operative, who probably did horrible shit, who knows? I mean, I'm not going to like insinuate anything here, but if you're fucking working for the CIA in the in in America, you probably did some shit you're probably not fucking proud of. And that ultimately leads to the question of like PTSD and like your own actions yeah. versus what you were told to do. I mean, well, this guy is supposed to be the best of the best. We're talking about you the can... detective here, right? Yeah, 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 I know. Um Something that the Nazis said at the Nuremberg trials was, uh, I was just following orders. And I think that there's a lot of people who have looked at those words and said, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be just another 
person who said I was just following orders. I want to be the morally correct person and say that I know when I'm making the right choices. But if you're told that you're doing the right thing over and over and over and over again by authoritarian regimes, you're going to eventually um, believe it. Him walking into the movie theater late, could that be an alibi for him? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, because he's oh. <laughs> he could have left evidence there incriminating the um, bodyguard. Yeah. And if he doesn't have... If he's got an alibi saying he was over here, like when the murder happened, he was in a movie, then would the blame be pinned on the bodyguard? Maybe. Potentially. I was wondering maybe, but probably not he'd probably lose his job for like how did you not know this was happening yeah it's also a question of like there's a conspiracy here so how much are you really going to bring to the police yeah because this was a hush hush situation where they hired an outsourced yeah. detective to look into this so but i still can't work out what the hit and run was was there something in a previous episode uh, previous issue with getting i again we tried looking into it i i, I didn't see anything I think that Tom King maybe is looking at this in a lens that maybe I, I need to look at it more. But again, the resolution, I think, could have just been just a bit more. Yeah, I, the resolution was very weak. It's yeah. not like I want the main character to die or something, but I definitely feel like there needs to be some consequence to some degree because he took a lot of actions here. And I feel like there should be a response to that. Um, one more thing, on the second to last page, we get a cameo by King and Fornes. Yeah, they you always the, do that. Yeah. You know, showing up late to the movie, the 35 minutes ago. Yeah. In Watchmen. Yeah. Oh, is that something to, from Watchmen? Yeah, that's that's the line from Ozymandias. Like I, you know, ended the world thirty-five minutes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh shit! I forgot about that. Wow. Nice. So, yeah. Again, good call out, Josh. Yeah, goddamn. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm willing to move along move along from here yep, because please, I think that we've got everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's move on to Justice League Ra Last Ride by uh, Chip Zdarsky. And uh, who's doing the art on this? Uh, Miguel Mendonca. Mendonca. Okay. This is number five, and this is a fantastic issue. Yeah, okay. I really liked it. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff in here. I don't typically follow a lot of like the heavy action sequences, but this had a lot of other stuff going on in the background that was very engaging to me. Outside of the Mongol fight sequence and the commentary from Lobo and the fight sequence between, in the past, uh, Hal Jordan and Darkseid, it explains a lot of what's going on. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what happened in this. I read all this stuff last Tuesday, so it's, yeah. Um, so there's the conflict between yeah, yeah, Wonder Woman and Mongol. There's the conflict between Superman and Batman, uh, Hal Jordan and Darkseid, the explosion of the power battery. Again, oh, yeah, another more... explosion of the power battery. 
That's, well, that's why I brought, it up, brought yeah. it up before, because like I think that this characterization of Hal Jordan is exciting, and I really like what's going on here. It's It strikes me as he's wearing this armor now, which is an interpretation of the uh, like Mark Wade Kingdom Come uh, armor now from Hal Jordan. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In response to this scenario, which I I totally dig. Yeah, so is Hal Jordan basically be- going to become Ion, maybe? Uh, I mean, that's how I would have written it. Actually, but... they mentioned the yellow impurity in this. They do, because the, this is... The, the, an... but what caused the yellow impurity in the comics? In the original reason, it was because Parallax was within the power battery itself, and that was the reason why yep. Hal Jordan, when he went into the power battery, he took on the the persona of Parallax. The uh, infection inside of the original power battery on Oa infected all of the rings, and because Hal Jordan was perceived as the strongest, it was what made him go crazy, kill the rest of the core, and take on the persona of Parallax. Yes. Hmm. Are we going to get Parallax Darkseid in this? Uh, because this is so out of continuity, I would be surprised. But they made a point of mentioning the yellow impurity, and that was caused by Parallax being in the battery. That was, but the reason why I think... And we just had Darkseid absorb the battery. I think that this is... No, they didn't have him absorb the battery. Hal Jordan did. That's why he has this suit. Maybe... I think they touched on that because that was the old interpretation of like why that existed until the 90s because that weakness which was highlighted with Mongol because he is yellow skinned yeah multiple times over I think that that's why he mentioned it because this is experiencing this is being experienced in a timeline where Do you remember the new 52 interpretation of the Justice League begrudgingly they justified uh, everything that happened within those first six issues within a five-year time period from 1961 or two to 19 no actually 2000 like 11 basically and that was their justification there so i think that that's more of an interpretation based on the uh new 52 thing more than anything else Maybe. That's, That's just my interpretation, though. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm still enjoying it. It's still progressing the plot. Not a lot else to add, really. Um, I think that there's a lot of interpretations to be done from this, and that's why I'm excited by it. And I think Chip Zdarsky is writing a very compassionate story here, and I really like what's going on with Batman and Superman. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. can move on from here, honestly. Okay, so Joker number seven by Tynan and March. I liked this way more than the last issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, still, Joker's only on like one page. I don't mind that though, because it's realistically, this book. is still just exactly. I know they should have named this say. Jim Gordon instead of the Joker. But Jim Gordon doesn't sell like the Joker does. Maybe. True. You're right. Uh, this first six pages is phenomenal. I mean, I, I that is a good hook for another comic. Yeah, <laughs> Madam Halloween. <clears throat> yeah, yeah that, it that was a fun few pages. Yeah, and it was like, I need you to go to Santa Prisca, 
well, clearly you're not tracking my phone then, because otherwise you'd know I'm in Santa Prisca. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of odd, but yeah. I didn't actually, I actually thought this was Catwoman at first. I didn't think that this was, oh, okay, I... good, good, good. Yeah, even when she mentioned on. her father, I was like, wait, because I pretty much just deleted Julia from my memory. Yeah, okay. we all did. Uh, yeah. Josh, you had some questions about this. Yeah, uh, I, I went back and looked it up myself because they were talking about the, you know, the guys going on and on about the Bane experience and the history of Bane. And it's been, I think the last time I read Nightfall was like the early 2000s. So I had kind of forgotten his history. But I was like, oh, this kind of lines up with uh, The Dark Knight Rises with Bane's history. But they were sure. weaving so much of Bane's history from Nightfall when he was introduced into that movie. Yeah. So I was kind of getting them mixed up. Well, so the Dark Knight Rises interpretation really forgoes the fact that it takes place in a Hispanic uh, island, that there is a corrupt yeah. uh, government there, that there is a... I kind of assume that was somewhere in like the Middle East like near where the Lazarus pit would have been found. Yeah. 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 So I like to interpret dark Knight rises as a white passing middle Eastern story rather than a whitewashed, uh, over the form of Hispanic story. Yeah. Because the Santa Prisca Island story is very interesting to me. I think that's one of the bigger successes of Chuck Dixon. Mm -hmm. Uh, the origin of Bane very much is that his father was going to be the one who was going to be punished because of his crimes and his son ended up taking the punishment for it. And so he was literally as is the meme raised in the darkness from there. Yeah. And well, I mean, the joke, sorry, I was just going to say that the joke here is that it's been overinterpreted a lot because it's such a, joke in the meme in, in many ways that you could sell it as like a, <laughs> a disney advertisement in yeah. some ways yeah i so yeah, i see what they're doing with that but yeah, like, yeah yeah uh, i was comparing i was wanting to compare like the the comic book version of bane from nightfall to uh how he is and say like uh bruce tim's batman like bruce sure. tim's batman he's just some strong man with who mm, gets juiced up on steroids no typically. be careful there Okay, I'm being I'm being a, I'm I'm joking, but still, my, one of my favorite scenes in the uh, Superman and Batman series is the scene where Superman takes over the mantle of Batman because Batman can't be there right now, and he's able to mimic uh, voices really easily and uh, uh, mock Robin, and then Robin's like, "Don't do that to me," mm -hmm. and then he fights Bane. The interpretation there of Bane is one of the more accurate ones because he I is so fucking intelligent. Episode. Oh, it's such a good episode. I know he is so goddamn intelligent because he literally only grew up with books and a teddy bear. And there's a couple the issues that, to be trained yes, by all yes, sorts of yes. criminals and monks and things like that. That's why I liked this, uh, tiny uh, issue where he confronts Bane about that because you really could argue who is the better villain for Batman because Bane is so goddamn good. He's not just some strong man like that, uh, movie where, he just goes, burn. You know, yeah. he's superbly intelligent. Well, he's one, the only, one of the only people to break Batman exactly. in body and mind. Exactly. They and then Joker that comes. into, you know, the Dark, dark Knight Rises. I think it translates exactly. pretty well there. Ex I have a lot of criticisms about Dark Knight Rises. 
And I think that that was one of the things that did a really good job of that. I just really wish that they just made Bane Hispanic, brought back the original mask. I think th- I, I really don't fucking understand why they made him not Hispanic and yeah. give him the Luchador Visually, mask. Because they weird, wanted to bring it full circle wise. with Batman Begins. I don't give a fuck about what they fucking wanted to do. Like, like give yeah. me the fucking story that, like, I deserve, goddammit. Yeah. yeah, but they tied it all in with the League of Shadows and that shit. They fucking threw away the entire but Venom they, uh, thing. They did that in uh, Batman Beyond as well, where Bane ends up living with the uh, League of Shadows. Yes. And he's, the- you know, an old man there as well. His body has been reduced to almost nothing from overusing the... Uh, Venom. Venom toxin. Yeah. And that's not the first time we've seen something like that. Like, people have used Venom before and had similar reactions. So it's not necessarily, like, a unique storyline or anything. It's in canon, you know? Mm. And the original, like, concept art for how Bane was supposed to be for that movie was more comic accurate. And I don't like the whitewashing of that. Mm. Anyways, um, with this issue in specific... um, one of the things that I thought was really cool was the acknowledgement that like the American superhero standard of like whatever was very uniquely American. And I liked that. Yeah. However, really the joke de- is they really do deconstruct that right here during this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I really liked that. And I really liked the conversation between Gordon and Madam Halloween and the name of ha- Madam Halloween, like the, the, the acknowledgement that it's such a uniquely American experience that anybody who even is a part of it gets their own nickname for that. That's common. Yeah, and good. she's like, maybe I should lean into it. Maybe, you know, with the black and orange and everything. I loved that. Yeah. It, it's so it makes tempting because it's so It fun. really is. It makes me sad knowing that Tiny is hopping off of this because this has been such a good fucking book. Mm-hmm. Like, despite my criticisms of March's art, making everybody look like they just really need a fucking cup of water yeah i just i really well, love this goddamn have, book like he does they don't she does march doesn't uh have uh gordon with a brown nose and uh miss how Hall- madam halloween with a pink nose yeah so he lays true. off there for a little bit there's been a couple times where he's he's drawn characters like they are dying of dysentery or something mm-hmm. there's you know sucking their cheeks in yeah exactly sean you're being quiet um no i'm just scrolling through it again seeing what else i got to say about okay. it oh, let's and... talk about this fight with talon yeah that's what i was just yeah please mention. uh so i don't know much about previous versions of talons and why they shouldn't have felt pain they're basically dead. Yes. They're reanimated corpses. Yes. Okay. And I've been saying that this has to be like a reanimated Bane. Um, uh, the one that I think we thought was the reanimated Bane was the rich lady's bodyguard. That's Who yes. wore like the big scarf over his face and the sunglasses. No, 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 no. I, I don't you think don't... that that's this guy. You don't no, that's not that. this guy. I thought that this was the guy, and he was sent by Cressida to stalk her. I thought that was the bodyguard. No, this guy's far too small to be Bane. Uh, well, I mean, now that you bring that up, I wonder, but I don't remember the last time I actually saw this guy in an issue. Mm. Other than this series? No, I mean in this series. In this series, uh, the last time we saw this Talon, 
he was basically standing behind Barbara when she was talking with Jim or doing something else. He was stalking behind her. He's just waiting. He's been waiting in the clock tower, basically. See, like, even when you say that, I just can't interpret it as that he's the bodyguard for her. Because if he's been sent on the mission to stalk them, then why even be around her? Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know the... I can't really put the whole thing together, but I think it would be weird to have two different talents. Like, I thought her well, bodyguard was Talon and Bane reanimated, I guess. It's but... not unheard of, but it's 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 definitely... It, it would strike me more that the Court of Owls is trying to use the body of Bane as an extension of themselves, thusly a new uh, Talon. But I don't think that that's this guy, because in specific, when uh, Cassandra Kane says that he feels pain, he's obviously alive. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is, yeah, that so is definitely not, a big hole right there. It's not a real talent then. But I don't know who else it could the, be. Uh, real do the reanimated talent, yeah. people speak? There um, was a talent miniseries for a little bit that didn't last very long because Scott Snyder wanted it to be more than like what it was, but um, from what I remember, they had Yeah, they do talk. Speech. They do the whole the Court of Owls sentence you to die thing. Well, the Court of Owls does, but Talon itself, I don't know. No, Talon, I remember in the Court of Owls Batman series, it was like, Bruce Wayne, the Court of Owls sentenced you to die. You're thinking of the first six issues and him discovering that his yeah, brother... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the sure. Talon's definitely spoken that arc. Again, it's a question of Court of Owls teaching them to speak versus the Talons themselves having an individual thought process. Okay. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Talon invades the clock tower, attacks them. Yeah. But only um, Bat Girl fights back. I don't know why uh, Cass or Barbara don't join in the fight. They just kind of. Well, Cass is the one fighting him, but Cass. Steph is Stephanie, the one. So Steph and Barbara are different from cassandra and batman has acknowledged in the original series that she ultimately could be the greatest yeah cassandra the is family. the ultimate killing machine she is the most skilled martial yeah. artist ever even more so than she, batman whether he wants to admit it or not he has said he felt conflict about teaching her how to communicate because she's so competent at understanding body language and fighting that she, he felt like if he taught her how to communicate, it would come into conflict about how she fights because her entire language and building system of how to interact with the world is body language and fighting. Hmm. So that's why Barbara like leans into her and says, you understand like what he felt because it's almost like teaching a deaf or blind person to speak modern English after regaining their uh, senses. That's essentially what's happened. Hmm. Yeah. And that's why I like Tiny in writing this, is because he understands who these characters are. Silence. Yeah, I'm just thinking about this <laughs> stuff. Uh, I mean, Jim Gordon is, you know... 
older. He's up in the up in years. He's kind of retired, but he's seems like he's at the top of his game. He's well, using you know everything he's learned over his career. I mean, Sean and I and I have mentioned this before. Like, we really like this interpretation of like he's been dyeing his hair for years to make the villains and criminals believe that he's more youthful than he actually is because of the perception of um, what's the word I'm looking for? A vulnerability, I guess. Yeah. 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 Just side tangent. We were talking about Dark Knight Rises a little while ago. Um, Gary Oldman was a perfect Jim Gordon in that movie. Mm, yeah, I can't disagree with that. He was pretty good. Yeah, Gary Oldman in most really things is amazing. J.K. Simmons yeah. in the uh, Batman v Superman. Yeah, that's the only casualty I'm kind of <laughs> sad by. Yeah, he's back in the Batgirl HBO Max movie though, even though Batgirl uh, is Hispanic. Uh, Wait, weirdly, uh, we're getting that HBO Max Batgirl movie. Oh, and you're saying J.K. Simmons is going to play Gordon? In He's that, even though Jeffrey back. Wright is playing Jim Gordon in the TV show. No, 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 not the TV it's show. The Matt Reeves Batman. That's the what Batgirl, I'm saying. Like, the Batgirl movie Jeffrey still in Wright the DCEU. Is Jim Gordon, there, they're still going to keep J.K. Simmons going. Yeah. This is the this is the Separate exact universe. issue that I have with DC right now is because their movies and TV shows are just like oh fuck it whatever. The thing I don't understand is they've cast but Batgirl we can't have, as a you know, Hispanic a black Superman character. and a white Superman at the same time. <laughs> Apparently. Although, I'll be honest with you, DC that's my doesn't... personal conspiracy theory, as I think that they're going to introduce Miles Morales in the next Spider-Man movie. I don't think DC I understands don't... race. No. All right. Uh, so, all we get is one picture of joker disemboweling a scientist that's it so he's one picture fun of living joker his best in the life. previous issue one picture of joker in this issue end of list he hasn't been in there since uh two issue five i think that you're looking at this in the wrong light i think that you have to look at it through the lens of jaws okay look you see what i'm saying like the majority yeah. of the movie and the story doesn't necessarily we're, have to be I mean, about the villain we're or talking the shark. about him we're not seeing him You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I do see what you're saying, but I still feel like, you know, if it's the Joker, we should be following him and not Jim Gordon. I think the issue is that when you overly follow a character like this, you have to humanize them rather than mythologize them. Mm. And they're stronger when they're mythologized. And when the book was announced, Tynan even said it's a Jim Gordon book, but that would have never been approved, so he had to make it a Joker book. Yeah, 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 starring Jim Gordon. I mean, it's not the Brian Azzarello Joker story in the slightest, but in a lot of ways, it's stronger. Brian Azzarello Harley Quinn story. I don't know that one. Uh, that was another one of those black label ones. I think that was prestige format as well. Was that Batman Damned? No, I think it was a Harley Quinn Brian Azzarello. What? Let me look that up real quick. I will slap you it's... so hard. I will slap you in the mouth with my dick. Are you not thinking of the Stipen Cedric one? Harleen. That has to be what you're thinking of. Harleen, 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 Harleen. I'm begging of you, please don't take maybe my Maybe it bat. is Batman Damned. I don't know. I thought there was like, a, maybe they had a Harley Quinn cover. 
Maybe. I think she was prominent in that series. Have you seen the Miley Cyrus meme lately of, uh, what does it mean? No. Oh my god, no, it's so I'm good. I'll send you some of... stuff later. Yeah, I'm not thinking of the uh, Sajic one, but I thought there was a Brian Azzarello one that had Harley Well, there's Harleen, and then there's also the Suicide Squad Tom Taylor stuff. I don't know. <sighs> the Harleen <laughs> book was so good. The Cedric I haven't one. read it yet. Oh, it's so good. I will read it immediately just because you said that. Like, I don't really like Harley as a character, but I read that and I was like, this is a 10 out of 10 book. Yeah, okay. yeah maybe I am thinking of Batman Damned. We are going pretty long. Do you want to move along to the next yes. one? Yeah, we can wrap up. Sorry. Yes. Cool. Let me go. No, no, no. Break. You're yes. fine. Nothing to... <laughs> I just want to get Sean some sleep. That's all I want to do. <laughs> Sean to sleep. Sean to sleep. Uh, Superman and the Authority number three by Grant Morrison and Mikkel Hanin. Um, I don't really know how this is going to wrap up in another issue. I feel like I... this is only sort of... We've just been introduced to Ultra Humanite and now it's like next issue is the last one. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, like there's a lot of uh pages in this book, but I just can't tell like where they're going with it right at this point. I love yeah. what they did with uh Enchantress, but I just don't know what they're doing. Yeah, like the actual ideas that are being executed in it are good. I'd like every single chapter, but I just don't understand what the overall story is or what the end game of this series is. Me neither. Me neither at all. Um, if we're just going off of the Brainiac and uh, what's the other villain? The one who took over the body of uh, Ultra Humanite. Was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ultra Humanite. If we're just looking at that, I, I don't know if that's enough of a resolution because it feels like such a buildup that it. They feels... only got introduced in issue three. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is like it's very passive. Oh, and we also had Eclipso show up as well, which was. <laughs> Yeah, but that feels to me more like very loose foreshadowing that will ultimately lead up to the Deus Ex Machina of the end of the storyline. That that's what that feels like to me. Yeah, but I just um, I don't know what the end game of this is. No, I mean I feel the same way. I mean it's I feel conflict because like that first issue, I I gave it the pick of the week as well. Yeah. First issue I mean, was so a, good, and the writing it, is still very good. Yes, yeah, but absolutely. I, We've had a lot of great issue ones uh, over the past couple of months that kind of fizzle out later on. Yeah, they I really just, polish that issue one before they're ready to continue on, and they don't get that polish for the rest of the issues. I I just don't want it to be like what they're doing with Williamson's. Um, infinite frontier where it leads up into another series like i want it to resolve in some regard yeah. like even if there's just one shot that's fine i just want it to resolve and morrison is a fantastic writer when he's allowed to do what he wants to do Dang. so you know what that's the first time i've done that so thank you very much I you're supposed you. to be the token lgbt on our group <laughs> and you get that wrong i know right like shame, fuck me shame. i should i need to turn in my fucking card um, they definitely know what they're doing with Superman, obviously, because look, look what they've done with All-Star. But at the same time, I just don't know if a four-issue miniseries about this is going to be enough to cover what they are trying to do. Yeah, unless we get to the last page of the next issue and it's like, to be continued in the pages of The Authority, number one, I or something. 
The Authority and Superman. I I interpret this more as a book about how Superman affects other characters in the DC universe than a Superman book. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? But I still feel like it's not being given the time for anything to be fleshed out. It needs another two issues. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe they got an ultra super plan to put 60 pages together for the final issue. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, and we'll maybe Morrison out. will take it in a really unique direction and we finish it satisfied. But just at the minute, it's... this was a good issue, but it's just my concerns for the next issue that are making me not enjoy it as much. Yeah, I feel the same. No, it does. It does. It does. Because I feel the same way. Let's do ratings on Joker and this book. Oh, yeah, book. Let's do Joker yeah. first. Um, I'd give Joker an eight. Same. Sorry. I already had that written down. You can't have the same as me, Josh. Oh, all right. 8.25. As an individual issue. 8.01. <laughs> I know what I should have done, but I did what I did. Because I know what I must how... do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. I feel like this me? is the first time I've seen Jim Gordon written in a way that makes me feel excited, and I really loved the ending to this, and I loved the highlight for Pennyworth, regardless of whether or not it was an advertisement. I'm going to give it an 8.5. Oh, yeah. Julia actually did nothing in that book, did she? No. I forgot about it. that. It's, it's starting a new thread that's going to go on through yeah. the next few issues, I guess. Tinyan is, is a fantastic writer in that regard that he's just like, yeah, I'll do an advertisement. doesn't matter if it's three pages. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. But it's not an advertisement for the Pennyworth book because that's, uh, Julia's not in that. Doesn't, she doesn't have to be. It's, it's an advertisement for future Pennyworth stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? When he comes back. Yeah, to that would have been a cool thought yeah. to do like past Pennyworth and future Pennyworth and just have them alternating. Absolutely. Pennyworth beyond. <laughs> I would actually read that. Uh, that that's the, I would actually Alfred is the uh, AI Alfred and the authority number one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and Superman and the Authority uh, number three. I'd give it a seven point five. Yeah, same. A what? Seven point five. Hmm. Like. Yeah, I feel like my fears are just holding me back from giving a high rating. I hope I read the next one and I'm blown away. Well, that's why we give the separate reviews for the individual issue versus the series, you know? But it's hard sometimes to separate them. I I get that. Right. Josh, did you read this? Oh, shout outs. No, I didn't read it. Okay, cool. Let's do. Uh, we know he didn't read it, Tyler. Us. We know he didn't. Yeah, he never you does. You should. You ask him every week. Why aren't you reading this? Why are you reading that joke? Why aren't you reading? You should be reading this. Ugh. Josh, tell us about Batman Beyond. All right, let me write down the time for Batman Beyond. Batman Urban Legends. Oh my God, this thing is thick. For eight dollars, <laughs> you get like more pages than. Uh, that three jokers book maybe uh maybe. so this is this batman beyond uh, the the story is called wake i i want to tell you guys about it but i also want you to read it because it's so fucking good i'll try and get around to it at some point uh, 
I don't care about spoilers, though. Go for it. Tyler, do you care about spoilers? He doesn't. Go for it. Go on. All right. Uh, So this starts off with uh, Bruce Wayne is dead. Bruce Wayne has been killed. He finds Bruce Wayne. He's like, I can get you some help. And Bruce Wayne's like, no, my heart has exploded. And the pacemaker is overloaded. My heart is tearing itself to pieces. So I just need to pass this last message on to you. So it's 30 pages. He's basically passing this last and final lesson on to Terry. As Terry is trying to figure out who killed Bruce Wayne. So there's a whole conversation going on through this while Terry is doing his best detective work. And there are... He's slightly older than a teenager now. He's got some scars. Uh, And I like... They've done some subtle changes to the Batsuit, which are pretty cool. Uh, Oh my god. So he, he basically calls everybody up. He's still with Dana... He calls his mom and Matt. Matt's still a little kid. I don't know how. You know, kids stay kids forever, you know. I hope. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we see Barbara Gordon. We see Max. He's basically, like, on the rampage. He's just going through town, tearing shit up. These fight sequences are fantastic. Like, he does the uh, uh, Star-Lord. Like, he uses the boosters from his feet to do uh, aerial assaults okay like he's kicking charging up his punches just tearing through people tearing through people tearing through people i don't know this uh new villain well a villain he takes he goes it's a moroni so like the future version of moroni sure crime family they're like the same person took us somebody is like putting gotham at war someone's you know lighting gotham up and uh uh gotham goes dark uh he oh he he finds out that the thing that killed him that killed bruce wayne uh was the bat computer the bat computer gained sentience and bruce wayne built up all of neo yeah yeah they reference brother i they reference omac they said it's not any of them no the uh the bat computer has basically gained sentience and okay. Bruce Wayne built up all of Neo Tokyo, so not only does it have the full power of the Batcave, but the full power of Gotham. The the AI, this new AI, controls all of Gotham. And he he teases Terry. He's in his ear. He's part of the Batsuit. Uh, and the the uh, the visuals they use to communicate for the AI reminds me so much of Person of Interest. Okay the kind of visuals that the AI would use. And so Terry is basically blown off of uh, Wayne Tower, which is spelled W-A-I-N for some reason. And he's basically left to fend for himself. He's basically, he has to fight his way through all of Gotham. He's going through all the districts. He's basically doing like a long Halloween where he's like getting shot at by police. He's taking on the Joker gang, the the, the uh, Royal Flush gang. Uh, I can't remember what the guy that does the uh, audio sounds controls. Um, Onomatopoeia. Yes, sure. Uh, but he basically has to fight his way across town to get back to the uh, uh, to Batcave. And he's got a protocol. Uh, it's, it's basically uh, the blackout protocol. Protocol. And he's like, I, you know, I'd have to turn off all of Gotham, so I'm shutting everything down. Hmm. Like, Gotham would be 
put into pitch black. And he's like, turn it off, let Gotham go dark. He sees the AI basically dying, like the text is fading out. And Bruce is basically talking about like his biggest mistake was letting his fear and anger take over. And, you know, you know, he sees the goodness in Terry. And so Terry basically, uh, he, he has this whole I am Batman sequence right here, but he disengages the protocol. So he's like, I'm not going to kill the AI, but I'm not going to let you keep the Batcave. So he has to blow the entire Batcave up. So the, the AI is weakened. He says, you let me live, but that's going to be a mistake. So they basically have, they're basically like, not frenemies, but they, they're going to be working kind of hand in hand, I guess. Sure. I'm actually going to read this uh, issue because, to... yeah. That, that's basically it, but it's so good. Like, this Who is this? peak Batman Beyond. Uh, this is Lansing and Colin Kelly. They're the writers. Oh, yeah. Max Dunbar is the artist. Like, he's done pretty good at mimicking the styles from the previous Batman Beyond, but he's added so much detail to it. Okay. Like How does it up. compare to Dan Jurgens? Well, Dan Jurgens is a writer, uh, but no, but like I mean, I said, like, how does this story compare to Dan Jurgens? Well, it's not the usual stuff. It's it's much better. There has been some work put into this. I can tell. Uh, the colors are pretty much the same as always. That's uh, Sebastian Cheng. Letters are pretty typical, but. The writing and the art are very good. Uh, I hope cool. they can keep this level up. You know you know how you see, like, at the very start, the first episode, they're real OP, and then they take a step back, and they're, like, you know, not as good, you know, later on. Yeah. So I hope they can keep this up, have Terry just be super awesome, you know, kicking ass all the time, and not just go okay. back to, well, I, you know... Got my ass handed to me. Gonna go yeah. back and find a new way to take on this guy. Fair enough. I'm I'm really looking forward to actually reading this uh, issue. Yeah. But it was, it was so good. I was getting like chills just reading this. I want more of this. Okay. All right. Um, let's talk about our picks of the week because I don't think we have any other shoutouts, right, Sean? No. Cool. Uh, Primordial. Let's talk. Uh. Uh, I'm gonna I'll go with go Joker with... Seven actually. Hmm. I I had Primordial until I read Batman Urban Legends, and this Batman Beyond story is just so good. Okay, like, you know it's a ten of ten, man. Eh. No, <laughs> I hear you though. Yeah, you have a preference. Um, that's totally fine. I know. Um, God, those were Primordial was so good though. Uh, but it was a really yeah, I'll good go issue. With Batman. Yeah. I'll go with Batman Urban Legends. Cool. All right. Let's talk about next week's books. Uh, next week, we have Frontiersman, number one, a new image book. We have The Death of Doctor Strange, number one. Aquaman, The Becoming, number one, by Brandon Thomas. Batman versus Bigby, A Wolf in Gotham, I'm very excited one. for that one. 
Me too, actually. And that one. Uh, the first part of a Re Fables revival, we have Suicide Squad King Shark, number one, which has already oh. been released digitally, but the physical release has been extended to next week. Alien, number seven, the new story arc. Old Guard, Tales Through Time, number six, which I believe Final is the one. last issue. Uh, and we have Radiant Black, number eight, Stillwater, number 10, Batman 113, Batman Miracle Molly, the one-shot. It is written by uh, James Tiny in the fourth, so it's something to look forward to. Uh, Batman the Detective number five, the penultimate issue of the Taylor run of Batman the Detective. Nightwing 84, also a Taylor book. Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow number four. Superman, Son of Kal-El number three. It is a Tom Taylor heavy week, and we are looking forward to it. <laughs> and before we wrap up, is yeah. there anything you guys wanted to shout out really quick? Uh, we're going to have Dark Blood number three as well, and you guys got to get on that. Oh. What do you mean I get on that? It. I'm already on it. I know. I will read it. Tyler needs she, to get he, on that. He's talking about me in specific. Um, all right. So that has been the Cult of Comics podcast. <laughs> Everyone this has been our get on comic that. books, <laughs> our comic book club episode, and this has been our uh, collection of the things that we read this week, our reviews, our thoughts, our opinions, and you can check us all out at the any of these Spotify and other podcast locations. You can check us out on Anchor fm slash cult of comics where you can try find our rss feed as well as our monthly contributions uh website as well as patreon.com slash cult of comics you can also find us on youtube you can support us by giving us a like giving us a share giving us a follow giving us a comment or giving us a dollar by going to patreon.com slash cult of comics or even going to the anchor.fm and checking us out thank you very much for listening to us thank you for giving us a chance if you have been following for a long while thank you for your dedication and have an awesome rest of your day stay safe Get vaccinated, wear a mask, don't be an idiot, all hail, and have an awesome rest of your night.